0: Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours, find out more at sbmd.org.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast, all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm here today with Alan West. Hi, Alan. Hey, Nancy. So, Alan, we talk about affordable housing a lot in Houston. One of the angles is just all the Houstonians who haven't been able to buy a house here because prices have gotten so high while wages have stagnated. And that applies to rents, too, especially inside the Loop. We've done so many stories over the past several years on all these older, cheaper, frankly, apartment complexes that have been torn down to make way for new buildings. And then apart from that, there's the capital A affordable housing, homes and apartments that are built with subsidies, homes and apartments that are reserved for people who make less than the median income. When these projects are proposed, they often face opposition sometimes extreme, opposition in the form of NIMBYism. We could put forth a number of examples, but I will just pick the most recent. An affordable housing developer who was planning a project in the Heights just said he probably wasn't going to pursue the tax credits that he was going to use to help finance the building. And not go forward with the project, and this was in large part because of the neighborhood opposition and because a state representative who he needed to support the development declined to do so after residents campaigned against it. They don't always work that way, but in this case, the neighbors won. Today, we are going to have a conversation about affordable housing and the nimbyism that often goes along with it with Joy horrock Brown. Joy is president and CEO of New Hope Housing, a nonprofit developer that builds and runs housing and support services for those on very low incomes. Joy Horrock-Brown, welcome to Looped In. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to to meet you and, and talk about the projects that you've done and are currently doing and some of the experiences you've had building them. As a developer of affordable housing, what sort of opposition have have you faced?
0: Well, we almost always face some degree of opposition. Affordable housing is widely misunderstood, and it's also misunderstood the extreme need for it. So often the words low income are used, and when you hear that word, what your ear hears is lower than my income. And so you might fear that someone's moving into your neighborhood who won't fit in your view. What we would be wonderfully advised to do is to think of the people that we're discussing. We're discussing a teacher's aide. We're discussing a nursing assistant. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a beginning firefighter or police officer or school teacher. That's who we're talking about. Those are vital jobs, the barista at the coffee shop you Uh frequent, the person who sacks your groceries, who helps you at a retail store. These are, are vital jobs and good neighbors and we need to understand that acknowledge that we need to educate the public and then at the at the very lowest economic end there are people who are at risk of homelessness or who have been homeless who need affordable housing too the street is an inappropriate place to live we need to honor the humanity of all Houstonians and remember that segment of our of our people who need affordable housing too
1: yeah Well, so this Heights Project, the residents were upset about a a number of things, including, you know, I mean, I can can list them, but I think everyone sort of heard them time and time again. It's always the same ones, really. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got school overcrowding, traffic is a big one, safety in the Heights they talked about. Um, emergency vehicle access. If there was going to be this new multifamily building on their street, that meant people would be parking on the street, and um, fire trucks might not be able to get through. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying their their concerns, but um, these are these are a lot of the the ones that that we hear. So on on one hand, aren't some of those things true? Aren't trying to figure out how way to say this but i uh, i mean i'm i'm wanting to pre- to present both sides and so i don't want to just completely shut down what they're saying
0: nor should you yeah those are valid concerns whether or not they're true is another topic. For example, affordable housing is required to do all of the same parking that any other multifamily building is required to do in the city of mm-hmm. Houston. You must have the proper ingress and egress. Uh, the fire department signs off on this. So, of course, that is taken care of. Yeah. Traffic studies can be done by developers to help a neighborhood understand what traffic impact there will be. Mm-hmm. These buildings are typically not particularly large, 100, 120 units. That's not a lot of additional cars in what is soon to be acknowledged as the third largest city in the country. Crime studies can be done on other affordable housing that a developer owns. And we had, in fact, um, a study done of property values around one of our buildings that opened in 2005 in the East End on Canal. It's right next door to Mama Nidfa's original Mexican Mm -hmm. restaurant and right behind El Tiempo, which is owned by the Lorenzo family and their great neighbors of ours, and and we are of theirs. And when that study was done, it showed that in the five years prior to our building opening, the second ward had had an appreciation of property values of 34% in those five years. Mm -hmm. And in the five years after our building opened, there was an appreciation of property values to the tune of 151%. Now, I'm not going to say that we can claim all of that appreciation of the neighborhood. I can say it shows we didn't harm, and that exactly. in fact, when we open at a minimum, building, didn't harm at oh, minimum. Oh, at yeah. minimum, didn't harm. Yeah. And when we open a building, and and our properties are at the nexus of art, architecture, and nature. We work with top architects and top contractors. Camden Builders builds our buildings. We've been recognized locally, statewide, nationally, and internationally for excellence in development and operation. And when we open a property, it is not atypical for the neighborhood around it to begin to improve. Mm-hmm to see the single-family homes, add a coat of paint and a new fence, Mm -hmm. to see other commercial properties come nearby on what is a a valid and appropriate commercial corridor, to see mixed-use, mixed-income, come right cheek-by-jowl with us.
1: Hmm. Maybe we can talk about what it was like before you built this project and what you faced from... Any, you know, did you face neighborhood opposition, or maybe you can talk about a time that you did? So let's
0: talk a t- about a time that we did, and we have just recently faced some neighborhood opposition in our work to develop uh, housing for families, working families, a mm-hmm. hundred and. Uh, just a little over 100 units, again, in the East End, and we have faced neighborhood opposition for that. Can I interrupt you? Sure. (laughs) It's difficult to talk about this in an objective way, but I'm curious, the the content of some of these objections, are folks objecting to, um, are, are they afraid of a dip in property values or are they objecting to the idea of working families living near them? Has that been articulated, or does it do the do the stated objections mask other fears? The objections really are to affordable housing, not specifically to us, and those objections are beginning to uh, move over the East End, the Fifth Ward, Midtown and certainly in the heights Uh against affordable housing in general. I think that it is due to valid concerns that people... We live in such a busy society now. One click and you're on a petition in opposition. One quick read of something that isn't read carefully and may not be quite accurate. And just not the time to really review and understand. And it's not merely neighbors who are afraid. It's also commercial interests who might not want competition. hmm if you own apartments or single-family rental houses in a neighborhood and perhaps yours aren't as attractive as what will go in, be built by New Hope Housing or others where we have granite countertops and washers and dryers in every unit and work with really fine architects and use building materials that are going to hold up over the decades, you might be concerned that your commercial interest would be damaged. So there's that factor, too. Mm. And then there's the factor of being concerned that people who are not like you might move into that neighborhood, that you'll be less comfortable.
1: Mm. So how do you combat some of those stereotypes or some of those misconceptions?
0: Well, we combat those by asking you to come and look at our properties. We have eight of them around the city of Houston. We have a property under construction right now, our ninth property we've housed well more than 10,000 people in the 25 years we've been in existence take a look at our record come drive by drive by when we're not there knock on the door buzz and and come in and take a look around we'd love to have you we'd love for you to have a tour you can contact me at 713-220-0290 and i would love to talk to you and invites you over. But come when you're not invited. Just come and take a look and you'll see that we're good citizens and good citizens live in our buildings. This is your neighbors. It could be your uncle. It could be your cousin. It could be your child. It could be the child of a friend of yours, a veteran, someone living on a fixed income, someone retired, someone with a disability, whether that's physical or whether they've had some cognitive difficulties and they're now stable and need an affordable place to live.
1: And it's the working people that I described to you already. Mm -hmm. Can we talk for a minute about how you finance your projects because this development in the Heights, in order for it to happen, this group was needing to, to get tax credits which would have subsidized a great portion of the development. Are you subject to those same sorts of limitations? We certainly are because Mm -hmm. we do
0: use tax credits in our developments. It is the most viable source of funding for the direly needed affordable housing. There was a, listen carefully to this figure, half million deficit in the need for affordable rental apartments in this city and Harvey certainly didn't help. So, yes, there are emotional issues that are attached to the tax credit program. Mm-hmm. You do need mm-hmm. the support of a civic group. If you're within the outlines of a city a civic group, you're, you're within their area of interest, you do need their support. You need the support of the city of Houston, and you need the support of the state representative whose district you're in. And that often can be the stumbling block, the state representative being appealed to by by some of his or her constituents that is what caused the problem for for the heights as i recall yes, and yes. and these are emotional issues uh, again surrounding what might be different ethnicities or gentrification occurring and perhaps neighbors in the existing neighborhood are hoping that it does not even though it's happening all around them and all around us already more than 50% of Houstonians are renters. Not all Houstonians are living in a rental property that they can truly afford. The standard is 30% of your income and rent and no more than 45% when you add transportation costs. And in Houston, those transportation costs can really run up. Right. Right. For sure. I'll give you a good example. I I met recently with the principal of two schools near the land that we are are working to develop some, some housing on. And they told me of families that are literally have moved out of the neighborhood, far out of the neighborhood, because they cannot afford the rent any longer in their own neighborhood. They drive a long distance every day to bring their children to school because they want their children in the same school where their friends and neighbors are, the friends and neighbors they used to live next door to. And so that's what we're working to help with. I think it's worth fighting for, and it also surrounds the issue of dilapidated housing. Mm -hmm. We have a good bit of housing stock in the city of Houston that really isn't appropriate for a family to live in. You drive by and you can see this. Yeah. You can see windows that aren't in the proper repair or doors. You can see homes without electricity. There what? are even issues of, of lack of running water, city services being gone because people just simply can't afford where they're living. Hmm. And why do you
1: think that's gotten to be such a big problem? Well, there have been skyrocketing
0: construction costs, of Mm -hmm. course, and that has uh, created a a difficulty in terms of the amount of housing stock that's available, that is affordable. Mm -hmm. And if you drive by one of these older apartment complexes, maybe built in the 60s, one of the large ones, and you look at it from the exterior and you think, oh my, this doesn't look to be a place I'd like to live, and you wonder to yourself, as you just did, why hasn't the city shut that down? Looks like it doesn't meet code to me. Well, where are those people going to go is a question. How many people will you be turning out? How many families literally onto the street? Where is the affordable, safe, dignified, beautiful housing for them. Where is that platform where they can rear their children? Because that's what housing is. It's an intervention. It's a health intervention. It's an educational intervention. Families that are moving from apartment to apartment to apartment because they run out of rental stream and they're evicted and they go elsewhere and and they're evicted again three times. And the statistics on the lack of opportunity to graduate high school are startling
1: mm-hmm.
0: due to the instability in housing. A stable home is where you rear a healthy family.
1: Yeah. We could give a plug to Matthew Desmond's book, Evicted, mm-hmm. which is sitting right here on the table <laughs> next to Good. us.
0: Uh, it's a marvelous book, and it shockingly and startlingly describes a business model, really. A business model from what he describes as slumlords, and I'm going to to use his words and, mm-hmm. and give, them, give them validity, where it is a business model. Mm-hmm. To the second someone is a little behind on the rent, they are gone, the rent is raised, and a new tenant is in, and that tenant can't afford that rent either by the way and will very soon be gone, and the cycle continues.
1: Right. And it, in a place like the Heights. To go back to this example, there are a lot of people who work in the Heights who cannot afford it because it has gotten so expensive, so they have to find housing elsewhere. And and one of the things that this building theoretically would have helped or would have solved for some people is some additional housing units. Uh, I spoke with a developer a couple of times and This is what the company does. They build affordable housing across the country. So they know what they're doing, and they know what they're getting into, and they know sometimes they will have opposition. And they spoke with the neighbors, and they decided to make some concessions on their projects. Then they decided to make a few more concessions. And ultimately, it was not enough. And when I spoke to the state rep, she told me that the developer just didn't, get to them fast enough. They had already sort of organized and started maybe putting out a petition or however, <laughs> it, however it was that, mm. that the word spread. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on reaching out to a community in advance. Is there a good model for how you can do that? It's always too fast. It's too fast for me.
0: As well as for the neighbors. And part of that is embedded in the tax credit program. You don't know what the rules are governing the program. They change every year until the governor signs off on those rules. And that can be as late as mid-December. And now you know where you want to look for land, where will be viable for the program, and then the rush is on to find land, to get it under contract. Mm -hmm. Frequently, there's competition for the same piece of land because all developers have now analyzed the rules and are looking in the same areas, and it begins to happen very quickly. The application is due the 1st of March. So you, I just told you December to March or November to March, at the very best, October to March. Okay. This is quick. Wow. It's yeah. quick for the developer, and it's quick for the neighborhood. And one of the things we're going to be doing increasingly at New Hope Housing, because we're large enough now, we started mm-hmm. out very small. When I joined the organization, there were 40 units of housing on the ground, mm. and now we have 1,200 units. So we have some mass now, and we're going to begin meeting neighbors in a number of neighborhoods that we believe could benefit from the product that we offer to the citizens who live in those neighborhoods and live nearby so that we are in front of what is a possible process. It's difficult to do, and it's extremely difficult for a for-profit developer to do. One of the advantages we have is that we're a nonprofit, and so when we put a development on the ground, we're not... um, we're not earning large bonuses. We don't have investors that we're offering a return to other mm-hmm. than the what's a part of the tax credit program. So we're going to use that advantage to be more community-centric as we go forward to help neighbors understand in advance – when the rush is on, because it will Mm -hmm. be on. And nowhere is this more important at the moment, in my view, than it is inside the loop in Houston, because you see what's happening here. You drive through that traffic every day, and you know the difficulty a family would face to, to have a job in the center city and to live way in the suburbs. The hours uh, every year of your life and your children's lives that you're missing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Something needs to be done about that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking about a lot of, we've been talking about workforce housing, I think, mm-hmm. for the most part. But there's this issue of homelessness. And we had a podcast recently where we talked to, uh, Rice, someone from Rice University, about the Sears Building in Midtown and the redevelopment of that entire area, and how there are a lot of folks that are concerned about the homeless population that faces displacement. I guess, Joy, what what are your thoughts about serving and housing the homeless?
0: We've been housing the homeless since 1996, and of course, once housed, people are formerly homeless. They're no longer homeless, and housing plus services is a specialty of ours, knowing how to work with someone who's lived on the streets, perhaps for a very long time, perhaps a short time. If so, that's far better. Not only is it does it speak to the humanity of what we do as a society and as a city, it's also less expensive. It costs $90,000 a year for someone to live on the street. So not only is it an inappropriate place to live, it's an expensive place to live. It's a drain on city services. It's a total drain on city services. It's $3,700, the average visit to an emergency room, and the homeless that you see on the street, that is where they are receiving medical care because it's the only option that they have. It's twenty. a a month for an individual to live in a homeless shelter. It's more than $11,000 a month for a family to live in a homeless shelter. Our one, two, and three-bedroom apartments off Reed Road, the rents start at around $600 a month. That's a lot less expensive. Right. It's an option that... Has people helps people stabilize their lives, individuals. Most of our housing that works with homeless or those at risk is for individuals. It's efficiency apartments, beautiful efficiency apartments, small and lovely business center community room, case management, myriad services, budgeting, job access, health care access, so that people can stabilize and make of their lives as much as, as they are able to do. And with the work that we do with families who are at risk, it's about helping people move themselves from generational poverty, having an intervention for children that is welcomed by families and is very much needed. And, and then the workforce housing that we've talked about already, which is a direction that we're moving in now because we can see, let's do prevention If you have a family at $45,000 a year in income, a family of four, let's prevent them from falling into the system by allowing them to have a place. These are working families who are paying the rent. Let them have the opportunity. Let's all help with this so that they don't fall into the system. And around uh, the the new innovation center that you discussed, there are people who have fallen through the cracks in our yeah. system and are living on the street. And I, I do believe that that Rice is... And I believe they should be concerned about how, as a part of the area that they're developing, that there will be housing. We don't need to be adding to encampments. The mayor has spoken uh, to that and spoken clearly to it, and he is right. Right. He has spoken to the fact that all of our neighborhoods should be considered high opportunity neighborhoods, and people should have a choice of living in a neighborhood where they've grown up and want to be, and affordable housing be there for them, as well as be out in the suburbs that some might consider a higher opportunity, so that there's a choice, so that you and I have a choice with the income that you earn at the Chronicle as to where you want to live. And so should our neighbors who are uh, beginning teachers and teachers' aides and nursing assistants have a choice as to where to live. Mm-hmm. The street isn't a choice.
1: Yeah. Well I think it's it's good that we're talking about it. And I think that we need to talk about it more as a society and and help dispel some of the myths and some of the concerns Joy, that you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. These are these are people, these are working people, and these are people we interact with every day. Thank you for having me, Nancy. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, listeners, thank you as well. Until next time, if you don't already, please subscribe to In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have an idea for a show or just want to say hi, you can reach out to me. I am at N Sarnoff on Facebook or Twitter, and Alan, you are at Alan West. Until next time, see you then.